0: Every time you pick up a role, every time you're given a, a situation, you walk into it, you do not break rules which are obvious, but you create your internal
1: set of rules and given set of rules. I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> impressed that you picked that up from my handwriting and I'm like, wow, what is my handwriting saying about me? But, um, but no, I think that's very true.
0: Welcome to Absolutely Right, the very first graphology-based podcast show in India. My name is Aditi Surana. I'm a graphologist, a high-performance coach, and host of the show. Every Wednesday, we invite one guest on the show who allows us to look into their world, you know, literally take a peep into how they make decisions, what their story looks like, and we do that with this powerful tool called graphology or handwriting analysis. Now, it matters that we use a tool to understand people because when we hear their stories, there to be some mechanism for us to decode it right and along with that decoding of their personality and their story you get to decode your life you know it is difficult for us to take feedback from people on on day-to-day basis if somebody comes to you and says you are a short-tempered person you might not agree with it you might react or retaliate to that whole thought or that feedback but if you're reading a book if you're watching a movie and if you see a short-tempered person indirectly you start matching their behavior You wonder if you behave in the same manner or not. And that leads to a deeper sense of realization of your own behavior. When our guests talk about their real problem, their real strengths, their real challenges, you get to observe your real self indirectly through these conversations. And that is a simple idea to create this compendium or collection of all these episodes for you to build your story, build your journey and get inspired by others by seeing what all they can do to improve things. And our guest today is a veteran with more than 15 years of experience in media, in journalism, in multimedia storytelling. Riya Saran is a psychology and journalism student from New York who has moved four countries for her work. She was the founding editor-in-chief of Condé Traveler Middle East and managed to introduce this lifestyle hospitality travel-based luxurious magazine to the GCC region for the first time. Without further ado, let me invite Ria to join us in this conversation. And let me start analyzing her handwriting. Hi, Ria. Welcome to Absolutely Right. How are you doing? How is this lockdown?
1: What all is happening? Hi, Aditi. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm actually not in lockdown because um, I'm in Riyadh where you know, life is a little bit more normal. And, you know, some restrictions to gatherings and things like that, but you are able to sort of go out and go to an office and it's a, I feel quite privileged. we have no clue what that looks like anymore. I know. know. And a lot of my family and friends are in India. So, I mean, I've been hearing what that whole thing looks like and it's crazy. uh, crazy. Yeah. So we had requested you to write a handwriting
0: sample. I have your sample in front of me and we're going to walk into the conversation, which is based on handwriting analysis. So as the format goes, I'm going to look at something in your writing, speak about your personality. And as we have never met, it's going to be a a very uh, objective observation based on writing. And please tell us a story or an experience that you can pick out from your life. And, you know, you know what, what would you like to share? Because our listeners will learn about themselves and about you through both our comments. My comment based on writing and your stories, of course, which are inspiring and, and fascinating. Okay, so I'm oh. going to talk about the very first thing that I see in your writing. Now, throughout your life, you have been a rule breaker. Every time you pick up a role, every time you're given a, a situation, you walk into it, you do not break rules, which are obvious, but you create your internal set of rules and given set of rules. Okay. So if people say, have you broken the rule? You look at it and they're like, no, I haven't broken the rules. You can't, they can't make you wrong. But internally, you know that you don't follow what you do not agree with.
1: I'm, 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 really. <laughs> impressed that you picked that up from my handwriting and I'm like wow what is my handwriting saying about me but um but no I think that's very true um yeah and I think you're right I I think people wouldn't on the outset look at me and say I'm a rebel of any sort because I don't think I am obviously one um but I do think you're completely right in that to me if something doesn't feel right I'm very comfortable writing my own set of rules. and for instance you know even when I um when I moved to Dubai to launch Condé Nast Traveler um, many years ago now, 2013, I think it was. <laughs> um, and I came into a setup that had done things a certain way right. for, for a long time and it was working, I guess, for everybody else there. Um, but I, I came in and I said, well, this is fine, but this doesn't work and this doesn't work and we need to be doing things this way. And they'd be like, well, this is how we do it. And I'd be like, well, we can do it this way. And so it was, it was, it was putting together a set, a, an entire new way of, for instance, establishing and producing a magazine um, right. and a title like that. But without, you know, going so off kilter that you're doing something that, you know, is, is disturbing to anybody else or, you know, once they saw the results of the way I did things, They were happy for me to run with it.
0: Also, like you do not confront people while doing it. So you do it in a manner that you are extremely patient and you can be repetitive till the point they get the point. And, you know, that I feel is your large leadership quality, which people do not realize because you're so subtle about it. You're so repetitive, but patiently kind about the communication.
1: Well, thank you. (laughs) I, I hope that's how people see me. But, but, um, but no, you're right. I, I'm not big on confrontation and conflict. I don't, uh, I don't like it. I also don't think that that's the best way to get what you want. Um, I think showing people rather than telling people that something is the correct way to do something or a different way in a different way of thinking
0: Um, is much more effective, I found. I think that's a better way of putting it, actually, when you say showing people instead of telling them. So that, you know, uh, inspiring them to follow you, if at all they choose, and being on your path and repeating yourself in that manner by acting and by, by sticking to, consistently sticking to your concept. Or your larger idea. That takes a lot compared to other people who are like, oh, you should do this. You should behave like that. Definitely. Now I'm saying this because unlike most handwriting samples, your sample is on a ruled paper. So when anybody writes on a ruled paper, but do not write on the line. You know, you have this little space between the actual ruled line of the page and your imaginary line, which is your baseline, that shows that the writer always creates his or her own set of rules in a given set of rules. And that is very, very evident.
1: That's fascinating. Okay, yeah, because I was feeling a little bit bad that I only had the ruled paper because, as I said, I'm sort of in between homes and I'm living in a hotel apartment and I didn't have, I literally just didn't have unruled paper. Um, and I and, and I said, "Oh God, I hope this is not going to make a, you know affect things in any way." But apparently, it showed you something about me. Yeah, so absolutely, that's great. a new, newer thing altogether. Yeah. So I mean, I guess as I said, um, moved in. I've started things. I've just moved to Riyadh. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of doing different things. And I, my most of my career has been moving, not just jobs, but moving countries. So every time I change a job, I change countries. Wow. Um, so yeah. So I mean, I, you know, obviously, I, I, <laughs> I don't say it's safe. So um, one of my questions would be, you know, sort of managing the uncertainty and change every time you do something like that. You know, I I think I I have managed to do it, but I don't think I always do it with the least amount of anxiety I could possibly have. (laughs) Sure. Um, and I would be curious to know if you have tips or, or guidance on, on making these big leaps, but doing it in a way that, is, that, that doesn't cause a huge amount of anxiety. Because I think sometimes people see someone like me, they think, oh, it's really great. And it's really brave, you know, doing these mm-hmm. things. And I'm like, well, that's great. And that's sort of what you show people is that you're sort of handling everything. Mm-hmm. And you are. But I think a lot of what people don't see is the underlying anxiety underneath a lot of those things. Sure. So I thought it would be interesting to sort of talk about that a little. So this is like, like a huge question. There's so
0: many parts to it. Yeah. So before I talk about how do we deal with it, let me take a moment to talk about how do we look at anxiety to begin with? Mm-hmm. You know, anxiety as a, as a uh, phenomena is built on patterns. So patterns that are repeated, patterns that are triggered by certain things. And most people who feel anxious do not feel in control of the situation. Okay, now I'm going to relate to how you look at anxiety. What are the things I find in your writing? So when you write your signature, you know, in your surname, there's a stroke of S that has a long extended tail. That shows that that kind of extension shows investigative nature. So when you get into a situation and when you find something off, you become investigative about it. Okay, another thing that you have in your writing, which is shown in your letter R with a loop, That is a worry stroke. We call it a worry stroke. So if I have to combine these two really independent traits together and make a comment, then I would say, one, you get investigative, which means anything going off, anything looking uncomfortable, catches your attention. And then you go to the root cause of where it is coming from, why it is happening. And now you also have the the worry stroke, which makes you an overthinker. (laughs) so if anything gets caught into that that gap of you know being off or being uncomfortable then nothing under the sun can stop you uh, from fretting about it
1: <laughs> and I, I mean i think that's completely true um i think that like as you said that's that is probably where the root of the anxiety lies you know i make these big decisions and i'm very comfortable with making these big decisions but they do, they do come with this underlying thing which is as you said i i suppose because when I can't quite put my finger on something or hold on to it, there is this, this way that comes along, you know, how are things going to turn out? I, I don't have full control on how things are going to turn out because right. there's all these factors. Which is, which is absolutely uh, understandable in
0: your case, especially you know, walking into a new organization and new country, then nothing is in your control pretty much so that we have this concept in psychology. We say locus of control. So things which are in my control and out of my control. So when you're new somewhere, the, the area which is in your control is really, really small. Now, how we can look at it and how we can deal with it? Fundamentally, anybody who's into who's stuck in overthinking patterns, what do we overthink about? Things that we imagine that can go wrong, or our memories of things where things went wrong. So we keep repeating those memories, or we keep thinking and imagining and coloring pictures. And I feel yours is more of imaginative style, but. When you put your foot down and you bring all the past references where things had gone wrong, you justify it with all the data. And then it becomes like a solid case against yourself. So then nobody can fight that case. Nobody can win over that case, right? So then it's only one person. So a part of you against yourself. Now to break it, we have to identify the triggers. So as I said, the trigger, the fundamental trigger is when you feel you are out of control, on any one of the things right so when it comes to your other professional areas when you feel out of control the simplest thing I can tell that you do is you find the expert who can fix it in your personal life or in these personal decisions you do not think in that manner so the expert might not be a person, but expert could be an opinion. Expert could be somebody who has gone through the journey and can make the process easier for you. Expert could be the formats that you can create for yourself, knowing that this is my pitfall. Now, all these things we can do to gamify or in a way like, you know, go around our own triggers, because the triggers, once they are off, when they are they're pressed, then you have very little control over the
1: situation. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. It's good to hear it in that manner because it sort of simplifies what it is you're looking for.
0: And, and even the anxiety that you're talking about is momentary. You do not fret about it after some time, you know, still, till you go through it. Now, what you do most of the time is you close your eyes and you really go in with full force. And then you, you believe that somehow you'll come out on the other side. I feel that mechanism has to change. So when you, have, when you feel surrounded by so many thoughts which bother you and which make you feel bogged down, you try to, to cover your eyes instead of looking at them. Right. So we require to do a bit more journaling there, bring more awareness. So anything that feel you gets to you, you're supposed to turn to it, throw more light on it and figure out so what will happen. So, this is my favorite question when it comes to journaling with overthinking. You say, okay, this, so what? Will I be able to deal with it? So, if you start covering the grounds, so that instinct is to protect you, right? Instinct that, oh my God, you're in this new place. What if things go wrong? What if you're harmed? What if this? So, the, the part of you is trying to protect you. What we do is we dismiss it, we try to push it, we try to not address it, and then it becomes stronger and stronger because it is still scared. It's like a child who's crying. If the mother only ignores him and if he's really in pain, he'll cry more and more and more. But if he's not in pain and ignorance works because then he, he gets distracted by something else. Right. But the fear is like the child who is in pain. So it can't be ignored enough for you to go around it. And that's why the fears become stronger and they stop you in your tracks. So the very moment you, you look at it and you keep understanding. So one of the lessons I learned from Brené Brown she says, you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning, four o'clock, you just go to the washroom. And by the time you come back, your mind is filled with all these anxious thoughts. So she says, what I do is I tell myself that it is okay. And I understand you're trying to protect me. And I am grateful that you're trying to protect me. So that part of you is trying to do all of this, you know, and catching you in the moments where you're not ready, when you're not fully awake, when you're not fully up for a challenge and in, in a vulnerable space, basically, because it wants to get your attention. If you give it the attention required, and, you know, whenever, during the day, if you journal, then the thoughts will find the outlet and they do not have to
1: scream to get your attention. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I had never thought about it that way, but you're completely right. I mean, why would they be intruding when they're not wanted if they're being dealt with otherwise? Exactly. Yeah. The, I mean, I guess the other... Uh, big thing that has been on my mind is of course, um, I've I've always been in these I've been for a long time in these positions where, you know, a lot of people depend on you professionally. You're, you know, you're there to set an example for certain things. You're a decision maker, you're a leader. There's all of these um elements to, you know, your career. Um and what I find interesting, I suppose, about it is that I have I have always wanted to be all of those things, but at the same time I know that I'm an introvert. So I I find that, you know, some days I, um, you know, if I've had like a really big event or like a really big, um, you know, project that needed doing, I power through it. I'm fine. We go through it all. And then I get to the weekend and I just can't do anything all weekend. I'm completely spent, you know, (laughs) and people are like, no, come on, let's go out. And I'm like, no, you know, literally all I want to do (laughs) is sit here with my book and, you know, maybe watch some Netflix. And and I always think that there's an interesting—I I wouldn't say like it's an oxymoron—but being an introvert and being a leader at the same time. Yeah, of course, especially in the industry that you have chosen. Yes, where it's very public-facing, right? You mm. know, so um, so yes, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I'm because I do think I'm both those things, and sometimes I feel like there. They're almost opposing.
0: (laughs) Okay. I completely agree with you. And, and, you know, being an ambivert that you are, the social skills that you have picked up uh, are acquired for sure. So though you know how to speak and how to present yourself and how to get that party going, those are acquired skills. And I think most of us do that, especially most introverts do that because that is the way we are trained into the social structure. If you don't do that, a confident person is the one who can speak well. That is our idea, right? Confident mm-hmm. person is not who knows his work and his space at best. Technically, that is the definition it should be. But right. for us, the social idea is way more important than what you know and what you think of yourself. Now, if you have picked that up and if you are going way beyond your own nature, then the exhaustion is the natural phenomena. Okay, so I'm going to, a break introvert and extrovert graphologically before I talk about it. So Mm -hmm. there are two aspects. One is the size of the writing. So when your handwriting is big, which you have in your signature, you have a larger personality. So you walk into a room and people take a note of you and they understand, okay, she's the person. They also look at you in an authoritative manner. So all of that comes naturally before you even say anything, before you connect with them or even any communication happens. That's the persona that you have. Now, persona, however, is a public image. Persona is what we wear as a mask. Now, in corona times, I have to be very careful, like the <laughs> personality mask, just to create an impression on the others. So it's a very clear distinction and we all have like practiced image, right? Like when I work as a podcaster, I have this so-called persona of a podcaster. Like comedians use that a lot. So say, my comedian persona is very, very different than who I am. So they kind of craft it and, you know, they actors work at it in a particular character, but we also do it on a daily basis. So we have a work persona, and then we have a social persona, and then we have relatives that we don't like kind of persona. So we all have these different images that we carry. Having said that, when we talk about actual personality, in that case, your writing moves to the left. That is an introvert's main graphology trait, the writing moving to the left. Now that is also supported in places where you are extremely independent, so when you write the I that represents you, like PPI, personal pronounced I, so when you say I am, that I is without any any uh, horizontal line in it. So it's only a vertical line showing that you're extremely independent. So when you are alone, not only that you thrive because you are an introvert, if you are left by yourself, you thrive in that environment also. You are not dependent on other people to provide anything like care and emotional support. You can just self-sufficiently survive through multiple uh, situations. And I would say uh, environmental, you know, anything that your environment throws at you, all those challenges you can figure out, you know, in spite of anxiety and all of that we spoke about. At the end, you'll figure it out. Now, with that level of self-sufficiency, the need to depend on other people is also much lesser. So that heightens the introversion that you have and thereby having regular pockets of the day or of the week where you are not seeing any other person's face are very, very crucial. (laughs) No, they really are very crucial. (laughs) And if people don't understand it, then obviously, uh, you know, I, I I can give you a detailed description because I'm an introvert who's in the business or profession of talking all the time. Mm -hmm. So there was a point where I used to run away from everyone. And I used to say, this is my time to be in my space. So just like back off. Over a period of time, I learned to be less monstrous about it. But I I understand it completely. So when you connect with with yourself, for an introvert, the way the brain is uh, wired is you Thrive with less external stimulation. So reading a book, uh, doing an activity like gardening, something that requires you to not be stimulated constantly Mm -hmm. allows your mind to unwind and you feel calmer and you feel recharged at the end of it. People who are extrovert, they get stimulated when they are constantly, they, they feel happy and recharged when they're stimulated over and over again. So that is a different mechanism altogether. So if you're preparing for something where you have to talk to people throughout the day and, you know, an event like that, taking the time in the morning instead of over the weekend can be of great help. So because, you know, I have to be out there and, you know, spend all this energy, let me recharge my batteries before and not at the end of the the day. Because at the end of the day, you're exhausted mentally, physically, all of that happens. Also, the gap or the dip is much higher than normal.
1: Yeah, that's completely true. Like even things like, you know, I'm, I'm a person that works out in the morning and people are always like, well, you know, if you could change it around and work out in the evening, that should be fine. And I was like, actually, no, because <laughs> for me, I just feel, yeah, work, I, working out in the evening would take a lot more energy than I have after a day of work and interacting with people. Right. Yep. Whereas yep. in the morning... I'm full of being, you know, like I I can absolutely get up and do it, and I guess also I,
0: if you work out by yourself, then that can become your internal mechanism to calm down
1: and actually recharge. So that's also another key. Which, by the way, is also really funny because people sort of have been trying to convince me, like even during this COVID time when you're not going to gyms and you're not going, you know, you're not doing that, and you're sort of working. out. like I've been doing at home workouts, and people were like, oh, you know, if, if you join this, we, it's a great Zoom instructor, it's a great this. I was like, I don't want someone actually watching me. I'm happy to use videos with already pre-recorded. Right. <laughs> nobody's actually watching me. And people think that's quite funny. They're like, no, but isn't it great to have like this class? And, you know, people are all on Zoom. And I'm like, no, that sounds terrible to me.
0: <laughs> so one thing I want to tell you that, you know, as a leader, if I have to describe you, one of the things that mm-hmm. is, is your efficiency to uh, get multiple projects going. So if you have less projects on your hand, you feel more distracted. Now, that's a weird concept, but that's how uh, that's I would say is your superpower, because when you are given more on your plate, you feel calmer, you feel more in control, especially work wise. But if you're only taking care of two things, it feels that something is off. So I think this is a problem of heightened capacity.
1: Um, I think that's completely true. Um, I, you know, I mean, I complete, uh, you know, as you do with your, your friends over, you know, <laughs> sure. after work or whatever, you're like, Oh my God, I've been so busy. I literally haven't looked up all day, but I think you're completely right. I think I thrive on that. That is that, that, that for me is ex- an extremely exciting way to be at work. I don't like having too much downtime. Um, yeah. I find it distracting. Perhaps that's why I'm suited to being something like you know, the editor-in-chief of a magazine, because Here, you're sort of, of course, you've got the actual content piece, but then you also have the people management piece. Then you also have the, you know, sales piece and the managing upstairs piece. Of course. So you are actually donning so many hats every day. And I think for me, that was really stimulating. And it kind of, you know, it's part of what I loved about the job, you know, the fact that there were all these different facets that challenged me in different ways and kept me going.
0: And I think that's how you you thrive in situations. And I must add to this, very few people are aware of this part of your, your working style that you're highly intuitive. So you do talk about logic and number and you know delivering on processes, but the way you design them and you decide what is working, what should work and for this person versus that is highly intuitive. And I think that part makes you Uh, unpredictable for others because they can't put a formula to why you work and why you do whatever you do but also highly efficient the way i was talking about you can uh, connect multiple unrelated dots graphologically speaking i'm saying this because most of your writing is disconnected so we call it printing or disconnected writing where there are less connections uh, between letters and that gives people this extra edge of being intuitive but also can be at the cost of being disorganized. In your case, I would not say disorganization is a problem because of your otherwise uh, commitment to to deliver. So when it comes to professional work, you're highly committed to deliver and those standards you somehow manage to meet. And that's why disorganization professionally is not a challenge because of the commitment more than anything else. But uh, if I have to talk about the other aspect, you know, especially in your profession where you're at, how are you dealing with the, the pandemic? Like the whole travel industry is suffering and, you know, like people are, are obviously not traveling, but also, you know, the whole escapism that we had in looking at the magazines and other people traveling and those beautiful pictures, that is also in a way questioned. So how are you looking at it? How are you looking at the challenge?
1: Um, I know, to be honest, I actually found that people still crave that escapism. Um, I thought that it was really important. I mean, while people weren't traveling, I think to me, what was super important was one that we were continuing to inspire because I think particularly when people are at low being able to, being able to inspire people in any sort of small way was extremely important. And that's one huge way that we approached it was, you know, what what can we do that will actually be inspiring to people and help them escape because i did feel that people still wanted that you know i mean there was some kind of break from the 24-hour news cycle that people wanted you know um so i think that was really important and i think the second factor that was really important was that yes um you know and while our readers are extremely important to us so so were the actual people from the travel industry um and you know it was it was heartbreaking to see just the Level of impact that this particular industry, and of course, a lot of industries, but this one um, um, took because it was one of the most obvious things that stopped um, completely, and, hasn't really,
0: and completely stopped, not even like marginally. Exactly,
1: and is the one thing that hasn't even fully resumed. Right. So, it was also really important to be supportive. So, I think it was two pronged it was you know being inspiring, but also being supportive because at the end of the day these are our people you know this was our industry and how do we make sure that we're still keeping them in the conversation regardless of the fact that people can't actually um go anywhere so i think that was sort of how i approached it. i just thought that it was really important to at the end of you know to really think about what's important about travel and and i you know i i recently actually did a lecture so i went to nyu grad school okay um in journalism and I was invited back by one of my professors to uh do a, a talk on travel journalism for master students okay um while we're in this pandemic which is really interesting sure. yeah, okay. um and one of the things i said to them there i was like you know for me while travel is fun and it's glamorous and it's beautiful and you know you, that's what a lot of what you see i think ultimately to me it's also just super super important at a very like to me those are not the reasons to go into travel journalism the reasons to go in are uh, because um, you care about cultural understanding between people around the world, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and becoming more global. And also, you know, a fact is that one out of, before the pandemic, one out of 10 people in the world were in some way employed by the travel, tourism, and hospitality industry. Oh my God. Huge, you know. Oh so God. I think it was just like a really big sense of responsibility mm-hmm. um, to continue, not just to think about, The people who are consuming our stuff but also the people who were behind the the providers yeah exactly so i i don't know if i fully answered your question but that's how i approached it so how how do you see
0: these things happening now like what is your take on what will happen to the industry and how
1: long will it take to recover what you know like (laughs) i I don't want you know as you said in the beginning i don't want to make future predictions (laughs) (laughs) Too, 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 too many future predictions um but you know I, I i do see i do feel hopeful i do see it coming back okay. um i do i think you know for instance leisure will come back faster than business and mm-hmm. i think that's because a lot of people have seen that you can conduct business without actually physically having to be in places True. um so i think but i think leisure will come back and i think it will come back in quite full force because i think the everybody is people, a <laughs> People want to go. They want to be somewhere else. They want to, you know.
0: They're they're stuck in the houses and, and restricted in the same city, of course.
1: Exactly. So I think it will definitely come back. And I think in the meantime, of course, I think there'll be a lot more local exploration, which I think is only a good thing. I think people often spend so much time thinking about how far they can go and where they can go without fully knowing what, you know, the general surrounds of where they are. And I don't think it hurts at all to understand where you're from or where you're based so Um, what you're
0: saying is also like the large part of travel is exploration and that can happen in your own city you don't have to wait for the travel to open for you to go somewhere else absolutely
1: absolutely i mean i even used to i even said to these journalism students i said you know for you to even start like practicing travel writing go to your neighborhood and find what's interesting there and you can practice travel you know literally there could be things that are of interest, maybe there's like a little historic something in your neighborhood, you know, find that's out about it. I mean, firstly, you have to start writing in order to eventually or, you know, whether you're if your thing is, you know, videos then start doing that. But um, you need to keep you need to practice. That's number one. But I think, like I said, find things that are of interest in the neighborhood. If you can get under the skin of something that's even in your neighborhood, that means you have the chops to then go to another country and find what's interesting about that, you that's know, amazing. if you could do it. So I think, you know, start small, start with like, you know, interviewing a local restaurant owner, you know, that's, that's one form of travel writing. And what's like the local cuisine in your thing? Can you break it down for somebody who doesn't know very much about that in a way that's interesting? Go, go to your neighborhood, explore it, go to the town next to you if that's feasible. So really just start. You don't have to be able to travel to be able to start honing the skills for it. And then eventually- yeah so I'm just curious Ria what
0: got you into this profession what keeps you going
1: so I mean I think I'm at heart a storyteller like I love I love telling stories about things I, I'm, I'm very curious about stuff I, I really like to go and find out things I, I I'm um, I like talking to people ironically despite being about um,
0: <laughs> so, so yeah. let me rephrase you said I love exploring people probably without talking to them <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly, but you know, also I like. I mean, clearly from you know, sort of just how I've chosen to live in different places and things. I like adventure. I like things that are new. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also very lucky that right from quite a young age, I did travel a lot, thanks to my parents and things. So I've always, I've always had that little bit of itchy feet about wanting to be here and there. And then I think that combined with just an innate you know, love the storytelling and also, I guess, the talent for it, the ability to take something and translate into something interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, That's sort of how I got there, though. I didn't originally think that I would do this. I thought I'd be a lawyer. And I think I would have Mm -hmm. probably made a pretty decent lawyer because I can be very logical and very, like, (laughs) detail-oriented. But I don't think I'd have been as happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, uh, you know, there's one trait in the writing where the letter P has Mm -hmm. an antenna. You know, like when you write your letter P, it always begins with like a little antenna and then you form the letter. Okay. That shows your extreme uh, ability. I and mean, I'm using the word extreme because you're so quick and you think of all the possible grounds that one can cover when it comes to arguing.
1: <laughs> well, I would have made a decent lawyer as what. You're saying. <laughs>
0: Also, I'm relieved to know that you don't believe in confrontations and conflict. I think many people are spared of this trait. Yeah. Only loved ones
1: <laughs> are aware yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh,
0: is, there, is, is there any other question you have for me?
1: Um, so, Didi, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um. you know, the fact that we've talked about how I'm very independent and my handwriting shows that as well. And, you know, I'm I'm a decision maker. I enjoy and I thrive on all of those things. Um. And I think to me, one of the things that's been interesting and has been a question in my head occasionally is um, that while I do enjoy all of that and that level of independence in my role, um, I've never made the full leap into being, for instance, an entrepreneur and working for myself. I've always worked for an organization. Um, and I wondered if there was possibly a reason that you could see in there for why I wouldn't have made that kind of leap yet. Okay. So do you intend to do that? I haven't got like a very firm intention, but I do, I have thought about it, and especially in the last couple of years, because I guess you get to a certain stage of your career and you think, well, you know, I'm, I, I enjoy being in these leadership roles. I enjoy the independence and the decision making, and I'm good at it. So what stops me from, you know, going out on my own and doing something that I think is interesting. Okay. But so I've thought about it, but I haven't actually gotten so far that I've, you know, got a plan or, you know, <laughs> okay. something's holding you back. Okay, So the first thing that I must
0: uh, begin when it comes to entrepreneurship as a, as a career choice. Now, an entrepreneur requires to look at multiple pieces and ha- you, know, you have to be responsible for everything. Currently in the leadership position, so many systems and so many uh, infrastructural requirements are already taken care of. And what you do and what, how you look at it is you maximize the potential that is available and create more possibilities with people by hiring better people, all of that. Now, if I have to look at it, it is, and if I have to compare it with, say, a designer, so that job is to design a newer future, is to deliver something that other people cannot see. But the very moment you create your own label, for, for that matter, it comes with dealing with labor, dealing with material, dealing with all those smaller moving parts, which can become daunting. Right. Now, in your case, you thrive when, as I said, when the problem solving is more intellectual, is more stimulating. If it becomes everyday, if it becomes mundane, if it becomes really you know, getting stuck on smaller ideas and smaller nitty gritties, you do not enjoy that space much. But most businesses will require you to get to those day to day, you know, like making sure everybody's salaries are gone and all those activities you do not enjoy much. So that I feel is the benefit of working uh, with organizations. Second point is you are a go getter. So when you write your lowercase t, the way you cross your horizontal line is at 50%. Now, what it shows is you are an end result oriented person. Most of these results are thrown on your table by other people. They kind of say, okay, this is where we want to go. You buy into that idea and you run with it and you kind of create it. But every time when you pick up tasks which are you know not professionally I'm just also giving the personal uh, idea here So when you pick up tasks which only you are accountable for, you're not as committed as you are when you're playing a public game. That's really interesting okay So thereby an entrepreneur requires that self-motivated, every day commitment to work at it i was reading this quote by elon musk and he said i work 24 by 7 i work uh, you know throughout the year and i have been doing it for the last 20 years and people think i'm lucky so when you are like in in the business like that you constantly have to deliver to your own commitment your own idea of success and if you do not feel excited about it you drop it when it comes to your personal achievement that I feel as an entrepreneur might go against you.
1: Absolutely.
0: But if you start a business where you have another person with you who is very, very committed to that larger idea, who can make sure that you, know, you run with those goals or end results, then you can still continue to do this while the other person takes care of the, the nitty gritties and processes and all other things.
1: That's really interesting that you say that Yeah, because I did once do like a small consulting project and even chasing the invoice, like really, like it really was not my cup of tea and I was like, Oh my God. And this is just one invoice, (laughs) you know?
0: yeah but that's what I mean like you know those follow-ups and things Now, in an organization like yours everything of that nature is taken care of and you are given a platform to do what you are doing the best which is strategizing coming up
1: with newer plans and newer possibilities and I think you thrive with in that area so So basically if I did want to be an entrepreneur I need to find somebody who's happy to do everything (laughs) else especially the the
0: processing part of it and sending invoices and receiving and following up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. No, thank you for that. I have, have, like I said, it is something that I've thought about and it's interesting to hear like how and why I might not have gone down
0: that path. We look at our personalities with our ideas and that's why we are biased about it. So the very moment we can use any objective tool, so graphology being one of them, but any objective tool that allows you to look at things for what they are immediately you start building different perspectives because we always have subjective views of why we do what we do or maximum you hear from your parents or your family members or your colleagues but they also know some parts of our personality so they do not have that overview where they can actually give you opinions about what works for you what should work for you with that mathematical calculation and no, I feel no. we require some mechanism you know how we do the the BMI test for the body and mm. and you should have this diet and all of that I think we should somehow figure out the mechanism for brain and personality soon yeah
1: I think that'd be brilliant
0: if <laughs> we can step on our machine yeah and like just know I, I think I'm going to do that with graphology soon just like yeah, send you your should. handwriting and the machine tells you there you go see that's that's an entrepreneurial idea yeah <laughs> The, the last thing that I want to talk about, and I want to connect to the point I made about over-investigative behavior. So people uh, know this, I would not even say this is a misunderstanding, but they know that they won't survive if they lie to you.
1: <laughs> I don't know if they realize that they won't, but <laughs> I, I, it is one of my biggest issues with anybody is, is, is dishonesty. I have a very very big problem with it I um, can imagine it's completely true I don't take well to lying and once you've lied to me I find it very hard to ever trust you again um, and, and I, I mean that is true I mean throughout I'm, I'm, I'm very very big on not being either hypocritical or a liar also, you're very
0: vigilant when people, you know, you read between the gaps a lot. So when people are projecting something, you give them benefit of the doubt, and you don't want to like, you know, be on their case, so you're like absolutely giving them space. But the yeah. very moment, as I said, you find something off, when you find something is not in alignment, you pick on it very quickly. and And, and the most unrelated and the most, you know, a bizarre way you will just look at something and calculate and connect and just like a sherlock holmes happening in your brain and you just <laughs> connect these five incidences and once that happens it takes a lot for the other person to convince you the other way around that's completely
1: true that's completely true okay if i catch you in it then
0: yeah that's not good <laughs> <laughs> I think it was it was wonderful to to have these different perspectives and, and I think the overall conversation was so fluid and we just had like so many different areas that we walked into it was amazing.
1: Thank you. It well, so really was. Well. Thank you. And I you know I I I have to admit that I didn't know that much about graphology before this and I was I wasn't sure to what degree this would be. I mean I've watched some of your previous episodes and everyone seemed to be very you know. Uh, very much like you were picking up things about them that were completely true. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, but let's see if it happens. Soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the biggest I, challenge we have is awareness because the topic is so accurate, but so many times we are not aware of it because yeah. people, were, I think I lack of my professional, you know, fraternity where we did not do good enough job to get out there and talk about it in the scientific and mathematical manner.
1: Yeah. No, because it's completely fascinating to me that you picked up all of those things from my handwriting.
0: It that, really is. the major credit goes to graphology as a
1: subject because it is so yeah. accurate
0: to begin with
1: no but definitely it was fun, it was, fun. No, it, was really fun. <laughs> it was really fun it was really great to chat to you i really enjoyed it
0: likewise one single handwriting sample can talk about introversion to investigative thinking to deeper aspects of anxiety and it is unreal how much information one can gather and that is because your mind is constantly communicating with your body and expressing all of it through the body, only if we know how to interpret it, decode it. Every month, I teach graphology masterclass for people to discover themselves and their loved ones in a new light. The next batch starts on 5th of June. So if you're interested, the link is aditisurana.com. If you want to know more about our work or book a session, if you want to know more about the graphology-based modules that we run, the, the graphotherapy processes that I design, and also book a session with me, the link is the same. You can go on my website and discover all the options that we provide. Our Friday short episode this week is about result orientation or process orientation I'll see you there till then happy writing